Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, what if there was a place you could go to hear and see what appeared to be C.S. Lewis giving some of his most intriguing and profound insights into Christianity on one stage in 90 minutes? I did that about six weeks ago here in Charlotte, my wife and I and a couple of friends went to see C.S. Lewis on stage further up and further in, and it was fabulous. And this play is coming all around the country in 2023. When I saw it about six weeks ago, it had only hit a couple of cities, but it's going all around the country. And you're going to hear some of that play on this broadcast live today because my guest is the star... In fact, he's the only one in the play. His name, as you know, is Max McLean, one of my favorite guests, and he heads the Fellowship for Performing Arts. Uh, He has done many plays related to C.S. Lewis, even a full feature-length movie called Most Reluctant Convert. If you haven't seen that, we're going to tell you where you can see it during this broadcast, but let me bring Max on right now. The great Max McLean, all the way from my home state of New Jersey. Max, how are you? Great, Frank. It's good to be with you. It's always great to be with you. Ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who don't know Max, you probably do know him, but you don't know you know him, because if you listen to the Bible at all, Max has recorded at least five different versions of the Bible. When I listen to the Bible, I I listen to the NIV with Max doing the voiceover, and he does it so well. Max, give a little history for those of us uh, who haven't heard you before on uh, the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast. Uh, How did you get to where you are? I mean, you're you're an actor now. You're doing plays. You're doing movies. But how did you get here? Well, I I came to the Lord uh, in my 20s. I was already an actor, and uh, or at least uh, uh, I was in drama school at the time, planning to uh, begin a career in the theater. And I was so aware of the power of story. And then when I came to Christ, or when Christ came to me, uh, I discovered the greatest story. And uh, and so what the Lord impressed on, upon me is to find a way to integrate my faith with my work. And so I thought, why not use the skills and techniques I developed in the theater and apply it to great literature? But I mean, that's what theater is, is, is applying the tools of, of acting uh, one's voice, one's body, one's mind to illuminate great literature, great ideas, great thoughts. And and so I've spent my whole career doing, trying to do just that, uh, presenting theater and film from a Christian worldview meant to engage a intellectually diverse audience. Well, you do that so well. And uh, the first time, I think the first play I saw of yours was Most Reluctant Convert. Since then, I've seen The Great Divorce uh, a couple of others, and then the brand new one, C.S. Lewis on stage, further up and further in. Before we get to that, tell us a little bit about the feature-length movie called Most Reluctant Convert that you filmed a couple of years ago, and it hit the theaters and did very well. 
Yeah, it it really did do well, and it's continuing to do quite well. It is uh, it is the story of Lewis's conversion from vigorous to bunker to Christian of Christianity to, uh, as he says, the most reluctant uh, convert in all England. And what the film does is it uh, it, it has Lewis living in his memories, uh, looking back on his life. We have three actors playing Lewis. Lewis is a boy. Lewis is a young man, and myself playing the older Lewis living in his memories, retelling the story of his conversion. And it's so well done. Where can people watch that movie? Because it's out right now. Well, now it's uh, it's doing very well on Amazon Prime, uh, you, uh, Apple TV. Uh, it's streaming on Sony Pure Flix. Uh, yeah, and uh, I think it's on YouTube as well. Yeah, you will love that, ladies and gentlemen. If you haven't seen Most Reluctant Convert, it is a full feature length film directed by a Hollywood director, you know, so many Christian films can be, for lack of a better term, uh, cringeworthy. This is nowhere near that. This is just amazing. It's so well done. You will learn a lot about Lewis and even a lot about Christian apologetics by just watching Most Reluctant Convert. Now, the new play, Max, that you wrote, and as de- you, you've developed this over about 18 months or so. Um, yeah, it, uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a challenging play, but it's, it's, uh, uh, the premise of the play is when Lewis was converted, you know, a lot of people are converted. They don't become C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. So uh, what, uh, how did Lewis become a reluctant convert to perhaps the most influential Christian thinker, writer, apologist of the, of the past hundred years, if not more? Uh, and so I wanted to look into that story and to recount some of his ideas. Uh, you know, he says his conversion was a purely philosophical conversion. He says, I'm not the religious type. Uh, <laughs> but he has this real sense of, of the, uh, he said that uh, when he converted, uh, he, the literary flow just would not cease. That, like he found himself, he found his voice. He said he no longer feared death and he imagined what the world and he began to write imagining what the world might look like if seen from heaven uh and uh, of course you and i know he wrote some some of the most extraordinary prose of the past 100 years if not longer well you went through a process to create this new play to write this new play and what was that process that made this play so impactful because it is friends when you see uh, the new play, C.S. Lewis, uh, further up and further in, you will see there's a there's like an aha mom, uh, aha moment almost every minute in this play. Probably more than that, actually. How did you how did you get this script, Max? Well, I, I read almost everything he did and tried to find you know the moments that really struck me. Right as I'm reading his stories, various stories, whether it's it's letters. Uh, some of his essays, etc., and of course, in his essays, he tells some personal stories. And every time something just hit me, I just grabbed it. And so the process was putting all of that together into a story arc. And uh, and, and you know, when you're dealing with somebody who's read everything from the Greeks to the moderns, had a steel trap mind that could remember everything he wrote, right, or everything he read, and could translate it into magnificent prose and speech. And did it all under the headship of Christ. I mean, you, you've got some dynamite there. Oh, totally. And I remember in Most Reluctant Convert, you had a couple of scenes with a tutor of Lewis called Kirkpatrick, <laughs> yeah. 
which just blew me away because Lewis at what, 20 years old, was he? When 16. He, went, he, he was what? 16. Oh, he was 16. He was even younger than that. He goes to see this guy, Kirkpatrick, and before you know it, he's speaking, what, five different languages or something like that, right? Well, he, yeah, it was, uh, it studied French, Italian, German, uh, <laughs> Latin, Greek. Yeah. He read the New Te Testament in uh, Greek. That's incredible. Yeah. Now, I want to give our listening audience a, a taste of this play, and I love the way you started it. I thought maybe if you could just do the first scene, which is maybe four or five minutes in character, people will get a sense of what the brand new C.S. Lewis on stage, further up and further in play is like. Now, those of you listening, you're not going to get the complete sense here because this is a full multimedia uh, event. Although it's just Max on stage as C.S. Lewis, there's a lot going on behind him. It's a wonderful set. But you'll just hear, just concentrate on what uh, C.S. Lewis here is saying, because I think it's a great opening that sets up why uh, Christianity makes the most sense. You, can, you, can you go right into character and do it, Max? Good evening. I'd like to begin with a question, a question I've been writing about for quite some time. And the question is this. Ever since we humans have been able to think, we have wondered what this universe is, how it came to be. Very roughly, two views have held. There is what is called the materialist view, and there is the religious view. Those who hold the religious view believe that behind the universe is something more like a, a mind than anything else we know. That is to say, it is conscious, has purposes, prefers one thing to another. On this view, this something made the universe partly for purposes we do not know, and partly to make creatures like itself with minds that think and make inferences about the universe in which we live. The materialist thinks it's far simpler to believe that matter and space have always existed and nobody knows why. Matter, governed by physical laws, caused something to hit our sun to produce the planets, and after billions of years all the right ingredients at the right temperature came together at the right moment to produce that tiny fermentation needed for life. And after billions more years, some of that matter bubbled up into organic life. And after billions more years, some of that organic life developed into creatures, like you and me, with minds that think and make inferences about the universe in which we live. Wherever there are thinking people, both views turn up. And you mustn't think that one view was once held and the other has taken its place. And you cannot find which view is correct by science. Science, by that I mean scientists, observe the behavior of things within the universe. They cannot make statements about things beyond the universe. That we must leave to journalists and novelists. Assuming that light came into existence, and our reasoning is valid, science attempts to explain how things may have happened such as how a species that once had wings came to lose them, it makes no metaphysical statement. It offers no explanations for the origins of organic life, nor for the validity of reason. It is a theory of change, which has captured the imagination become a fact about improvement, one that I believe much of my life, namely that everything is moving onward and upward Progress is the rule. Well, nothing seems more natural, more plausible than that chaos should turn to order. Reason emerging out of instinct 
language and poetry out of erotic howls and grunts, civilization out of savagery, the entire solar system out of some sidereal soup. Now, this theory commends itself because we do observe in nature small feeble things turning into large ordered things, such as when an acorn becomes an oak, an egg becomes a bird, babies develop into fully adult humans, and with machines we have seen small locomotives advance into large, efficient rockets. We think this by fixing our minds on only the second half of a much larger process, like beginning the story near the end of the book. In reality, it is a double process. Before the acorn became an oak, it was dropped by an earlier oak. Every human began as the union of an ovum and the sperm, but the ovum and the sperm came from two fully developed humans. The rocket did not come from something simpler and less organized, but from something complex and more organized, from the mind of a genius. Here lies the difference between the religious and materialist view. Either the crude beginnings of life on this planet were dropped by a fuller, more perfect life, or it all begins with the idiocy of the universe. This materialist theory asks me to believe a fatal contradiction that runs right through it, namely that the minds used to tell it come from a mindless process of physics and biochemistry at one moment in its endless, aimless becoming. Oh, we claim our minds to be reason, perceiving universal intellectual principles, moral laws, possessing free will. But if the materialist view is true, our minds must in reality be merely chance arrangements of atoms in skulls. We never think a thought because it is true, only because blind nature forces us to think it. We never do an act because it is right, only because blind nature forces us to do it. It is when one has faced this preposterous conclusion, one is at last ready to listen to the voice that whispers, Suppose we are not the offspring of nature. Perhaps there is another world further up, further in. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Max McLean doing the first scene of his brand new play, C.S. Lewis on stage, further up and further in. That is just the first scene out of 14 different scenes in this play. The play runs about 90 minutes and you can see it's not only thought-provoking, but it's something that you can bring anyone to and they will enjoy. And then you can have a conversation afterwards. Now, Max, I love the way you started this play because you are basically pointing out the great bifurcation between those who believe in God and those that don't. And this is one of the things that really brought Lewis from atheism to at least some sort of spirituality, this idea that materialism defeats itself. There's no way to even know anything's true if materialism is true. Yeah, that's right. It's, it starts at a, at a place where everyone can, uh, can understand. You know, and it, and it 
uh, it does a lot of the work that you do uh, in the sense it it challenges basic assumptions. Mm -hmm. Right? Where do we come from? You know, and and uh, in my experience, uh, atheists say it's a it's an irrelevant question. Irrelevant. So they, <laughs> they don't, you know, because first of all, they don't have an answer for it. Right. So course. they say, you know, it's it doesn't deal with my everyday life. It will deal with your everyday life at some point, but it it may not deal with it at this here and now moment. Mm. I, I remember from the movie, Most Reluctant Convert, that you did, there's a point where I, I can't remember who it was that convinced Lewis or informed Lewis that if we're just molecular machines, yes. we have no reason to think. Was that Barfield or someone else? That was Owen Barfield, yes, because Owen Barfield became a, came, moved from atheism to theism, not quite Christianity. And that was Lewis's first move, of course. And, and it came from the fact uh, that... Uh, if if my reasoning is merely the arrangement of chance chance arrangement of items in the skull, then how can I trust my mind when it tells me that my most profound thought is merely a product of physics and heredity in physics? That's right. And, and Lewis said that he couldn't. So if 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 reason is if if my mind is nothing more than atoms colliding in skulls. He said he couldn't put his brain around that. That just didn't compute. So he recognized there had to be something further up, further in. And that's the premise of the play. There is something yeah. further up and further in. And so then the question of the play becomes, what is this further up, further in? That's right. Mm -hmm. And and Lewis said so many great things about uh, the the spiritual nature, the transcendent nature of reality that that accosts us at every turn. But the, the thing that really amused me about the movie, Most Reluctant Convert, is that after Lewis realized that materialism didn't work, I remember the scene where you're playing Lewis and you're walking down the stairs and uh, you say, well, I didn't become a Christian. I didn't want God to become a nuisance for me or something like that. Yeah, he says, I, well, he said, he, his first step was he said, uh, uh, "My skeptic." <coughs> he said, uh, "I my skepticism wouldn't allow me to uh, to give over to God." So he he gave it over to a to what he called the universe itself, which is a sort of pantheism, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But the purpose of that was because he didn't because the. That religion doesn't demand anything of him. That's right. Right? It says it is up there. It's never going to come here and make a nuisance of itself. <laughs> right? And then, of course, later on, he says, you know, then all of a sudden God is here making a nuisance of himself. I think that's the primary objection that people have to God. Basically, it's not an intellectual objection. It's not why there's no evidence for God, because we see evidence in his effects all around us. We're effects. The universe is an effect. The moral law is an effect. Our ability to reason is an effect. We're reasoning back to a cause, which is best explained by a being we call God. Yet we don't want him to intrude because he's going to make moral demands on us. Well, that's the bottom line. In fact, it's, if you remember in the play further up, there's a, there's a wonderful letter writing scene. Yes. Uh, between a young man, and uh, he thinks he'd like to believe in Christianity. He'd like to believe that there's a God you can pray to, but he felt that it was delusional. He said, uh, and uh, 
he thought it was too good to be true. Mm. And Lewis said, responded to him, he says, my position at the threshold of Christianity was the exact opposite of yours. You wished it were true. I strongly hoped it was not. Mm. Mm. And he goes on to say, at least that was my, my conscious wish. One never knows all one wishes, but he can say, and this is the important point, I can say with certainty that the notion that all would like Christianity to be true and that atheists are brave men who've accepted the defeat of their deepest desires is nonsense. He <laughs> says, do you think Stalin or Hitler would be pleased to know that they are not their own master, mm. that they have a master and a judge, that there's nothing even in the deepest recesses of their thoughts about which they could say, keep out private this is my business. Do you really? Rats. Their reaction was as mine, rage and terror. Mm, mm. I find that so often when I ask the question, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? Many people hesitate or they honestly say no, because it's not a matter of the mind. It's a matter mm. of the heart. They don't want it to be true. They yes. want to be their own gods. We're going to come to Ma back to Max in just a second. There's a lot more you want to hear and we'll tell you where the shows are and where you can see them but i got to mention that there's so many good things coming up this year particularly when it comes to online courses how can you convince people to be pro-life the best pro-life speaker in america is scott klusendorf and he's teaching an online course for us just go to crossexamine.org click on online courses you will see it it starts just next week if you're hearing this after, say, the 15th or 16th of January, you can still join. You want to be a part of that because now we can actually affect change on the abortion issue state by state. And again, the course is called How to Convince People to Be Pro-Life. You'll learn every single possible objection and how to answer it and how to do so in a winsome and effective way. Then two weeks later, brand new course from the great Dr. Stephen C. Meyer, Return of the God Hypothesis. If you want to be a part of that, you need to sign up quickly because I can tell you that course is going to fill up quickly. Right after that, Shanda Fulbright is going to teach Let's Get Real, Examining the Evidence for God. That's for, I think, sixth to eighth graders. So you want to check that out as well. Just go to crossexamine.org. Click on uh, the uh, online course online courses there and you will see all of those so sign up very quickly now for this brand new play that max mclean is doing at a number of cities around the country here are some of the cities coming up and you can check all this out at fpatheater.com that's for fellowship for performing or c.s lewis on stage is a little easier for oh c.s lewis on stage thanks max c.s lewis on stage here are some of the cities coming up fort lauderdale tulsa st louis University of Kentucky, he's taking this to college campuses, which is fabulous. Austin, Texas, Houston, Texas, Phoenix, Arizona, Santa Barbara, California, Baylor University, and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. More cities will be added soon. Go to C.S. Lewis on stage. Trust me, ladies and gentlemen, you can bring anyone to this play. Hardened atheist or all the way to Christian, they're going to be edified by it. They're going to enjoy it. Uh, Max, what kind of response have you gotten to this play? Um, the response has probably been the most uh, profound that I've had. I mean, it, it, it hits people at a very uh, visceral level because it, it starts pretty high academic intellectual, but it gets to the heart. I think uh, the last scene 
is a uh, Lewis gives you his beatific vision, his vision of heaven. Mm. And uh, I was so moved by that uh, when I read it. And so to, to make it a theatrical experience was a real challenge, but I think we succeeded. And people, the way it ends with that beatific vision of what Lewis says we, what's in store for us in heaven is so profound, so provocative that it kind of leaves people with a, with a desire. When that's one of Lewis's greatest gifts is he gives us a desire to seek further up, further mm, in. Mm, mm. Can you talk a little bit about his argument from desire, Max? What, what was that about? Well, the, the, the most famous resonate? quote, mm-hmm. uh, the most famous quote is, if I find in myself a desire, uh, that no, uh, if I if I find myself in myself a desire that no other experience can satisfy, the most probable explanation is no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is I was made for another world. Mm-hmm. So uh, he had what he called this uh, this intense, even painful desire from childhood that uh, he talks about uh, with regard to uh, reading Fantasties or this experience that he had when his brother gave him this little toy garden that filled him with what he called this intense, even painful desire that feels like a delight. Mm. And, and this desire, he, and he calls it, he says it's the music we were born remembering. Love that phrase. Mm-hmm. I call it joy, which must be distinguished very sharply from happiness or pleasure, except anyone who's ever experienced joy will want it again. I do not think, he says, I do not believe earthly pleasures will ever, were ever meant to satisfy, only to arouse it to suggest the real thing. And then he said of his ministry, so I made it my duty to press on to that other country and if I could, to help others do the same. Mm. So it's this real sense of never being satisfied here on this earth, regardless of whatever success you've had, regardless of whatever fabulous experience you've had. It doesn't last. Uh, He said one of his biggest frustrations is pursuing so many false desires. Uh, And he he says the sexual desire is the most obviously false. And and I think many of us can relate to this. At first, the desire is attached to the image of the perfect lover. But as the lover approaches reality, the longing disappears. Mm. You know, it's, it's this thing we have as humans that nothing satisfies. And, and, and what he says, it wasn't ever meant to, this world was never ever meant to satisfy us. But to suggest it, to suggest we have another hope. He says, we may have some, you know, on our journey, we may have some pleasant inns to rest in. But we are never meant to consider this place this earth as our home. 
I remember he says in Mere Christianity, in his chapter on marriage, which whomever I marry uh, as a minister, I always have the, the two people read, the man and the wife read the chapter on marriage. And I think it's in the marriage chapter where Lewis says something about the fact that even the best marriages are missing something. Right? He's not talking about the average marriage. Even the best marriages realize that this is just a glimpse of another relationship that we ought to have. There's some other thing that doesn't quite satisfy us here that we're yearning for. And that argument from desire, I think, is very intuitive for people because they can sense it. Yeah. And yeah. so... Um, and that's what he said. That's, that's what kept Lewis moving forward. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until he was a much older man that he actually did experience marriage himself with Joy Davidman. Now, right. this play, right. further up and further in, uh, doesn't is is before that he actually wrote Narnia, I think, and it's before he met Joy. Right. The, the 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 time period of this play is his middle years, uh, what we could call the rise of Lewis. Okay, uh, this is where he wrote uh, he, his his academic career was established. Uh, uh, he became probably the, the, one of the foremost uh, medievalists uh, uh, at Oxford and Cambridge and, and the, the classic work, The Allegory of Love. Mm. He wrote the science fiction trilogies uh, in this period, uh, the screw tape letters, the broadcast talks, which made him well known and, and became mere Christianity. Uh, so this is when his, uh, he, he became as for lack of a better word, famous. Mm -hmm. And this period, there, this is also the period he wrote the seminal book, the problem of pain. Now, when, yes. when people read the problem of pain now, it's a little dense for the yeah, average person. It's still very profound, very, very profound. And you have a great line in the play about the problem of pain. Can you recall the line I'm thinking of? There was, there was someone who didn't <coughs> like the book. What well, what happened uh, in the play, he goes, uh, uh, to the end of, of his ministry, mm -hmm. I wrote The Problem of Pain in 1940. The premise of the book is that God whispers in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And then he, he muses, uh, can you imagine such a book having six printings? In its first year, oh, he said, I had some success in, in academic circles with the allegory of love, wrote a novel on space travel called Out of the Silent Planet, but nothing like this. To me, it was a sensation. Oh, not everyone approved. One colleague complained that the problem of pain is quite bad enough without C.S. Lewis making it worse. <laughs> Still, this little book, caught the attention of the BBC who invited me to give radio talks on Christianity. They did not want a clergyman or another religious jaw, but a fresh new voice, whatever that is. Now, when he did those broadcast talks, which, as you mentioned, Max, later turned into mere Christianity in 1952, he's reading a script on the BBC during the war. Mm -hmm. And these were highly scripted broadcast talks, correct? He could not Little vary? Little 15-minute talks that played for eight consecutive weeks, I think. Is there a recording of these anywhere? Do you know? There is one recording left that I heard. Uh, if, you, if you look up, if you go on YouTube and look up C.S. Lewis's voice, 
there is like a, a little nine minute section that uh, comes from that. Uh, it's about his section on prayer. I'd like to talk to you about prayer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just, he's just such a fascinating and brilliant character. I, as a result of your play, I went back and started reading again, uh, God in the Dock. What a marvelous book. Uh, a, a marvelous selection of essays that Lewis wrote over many years. I think it was Walter Hooper who actually compiled these essays. So these span Lewis's career. And I was shocked, but I shouldn't have been shocked, Max, when I read in here a section or an essay titled Christian Apologetics. And he could have written this today because he was 70 years ahead of his time. He starts in here talking about the fact that uh, when people start leaving the faith, um, they start believing their own press releases rather than the Bible. And that's exactly what's going on now. People start leaving the faith. And, and this essay is just so brilliant the way he puts it. Now, you, you pulled from a number of essays in God in the Dock. And I wanted well, to I pulled from that one. I pulled from uh, there's one that I pulled that I think is very, very important. I think the two classic ones uh, that really uh, uh, explore in a very profound and deep way the divinity of Jesus mm. uh, is an essay in uh, God and Doc called "What Are We What Are We to Make of Jesus yes, Christ?" Yes, yes, I read that and one then, as well. Uh, and then the second one was. Uh, uh, the introduction from Problem of Pain, when he recounts sort of the origin of religion uh, and, uh, you, you know, as a, as, a, as a kind of a clear path through Judaism to Christianity, which I think is profound. You... And, I, and I've never heard it anywhere else. And I realized later that he was heavily influenced by Rudolf, uh, I think his name is Rudolf Otto, mm -hmm. the... Uh, the idea of the holy. Mm. In this uh, essay of Lewis, in God and the Doc, the one you just mentioned, what are we to make of Jesus Christ? Here's what he says about Jesus. Jesus produced mainly three effects, hatred, terror, or adoration. There was no trace of people expressing mild approval. <laughs> right, because everybody wants to make him a great moral teacher. Right, right. right. You know, it says, I can accept Jesus, uh, you know, and this is, you know, usually... Uh, you know, learned people saying, you know, I, I can accept Jesus as a great moral teacher. I just simply can't accept his claim to be God. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, Lewis says, well, how could a great moral teacher say the sort of things Jesus said? And those who met him never gave him the mild approval of a moral teacher. They never considered him in that way. Uh, you know, the, and, and the, that quote, he says, uh, you know, a moral teacher might say, this is the truth about the universe. Therefore, this is how you should live. This man says, I am the truth. What are we to make of that? Mm. There is a part in the brand new play, C.S. Lewis on stage, further up and further in. Ladies and gentlemen, just go to C.S. Lewis on stage if you want to see this, and you do want to see it. It's coming to a city near you. That really intrigued me, Max. Uh, it was from this essay, and it had to do, I don't know if you can remember the exact point of the play, but it had to do with the fact that the Gospels are not artistic novels. Yeah. They're not made up. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Can you remember well, that? Well, yeah, it's, it, it, he's, he's uh, you know, in Lewis's famous trilemma, Liar, Lunatic, Lord, uh, in the actual, in the original broadcast talks, there was actually a fourth thing. 
mm-hmm. and that was the uh, uh, his followers made up the story. Right. That was the fourth option, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And Lewis says one could argue that uh, Jesus did not really say these things. You know, before Abraham was, I am. Uh, I am. You know, I am the Anointed One. Uh, I am the son of the most high God and I, and you will see me again at the end of the end of history to judge the universe. I mean, these are the, these are just a couple of mild things Jesus said, right? Uh, mild. Yeah. You know, you know, mild and uh, uh, sort of. <laughs> uh, Benign so, uh, sayings, so one yeah. option would be uh, that, that Jesus didn't really say these things. His followers exaggerated the story and it has now become legend. And, uh, and then Lewis says, uh, I am a literary historian. And he is. You know, he looks at literature from all history. He says, and I'm perfectly convinced whatever else the Gospels are, they're not legend. And he goes, they're too clumsy. They're not artistic enough. They don't work up to things properly. Mm. And here's a very, very important point. Uh, most of Jesus' life is totally unknown. And no people building up a legend will allow that to stand. They're not going to let his boyhood go unspoken of if mm. you're building up a legend. You know, he's going to chop down a cherry tree or something. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so this is just, I mean, and, and, it's, and he's only touching on it. Uh, and, he, you know, and, and, uh, there's, there's points like Jesus, Jesus comments how the Gospels have very subtle pieces of of information that are actual minutia. Like, why would there be there? Right. Like, uh, there was a point uh, where, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly where it was, but the phrase was that the Gospel writes, writer writes, and it was night. You know, and it was night. Mm. How important is that? And he says the the idea of realistic novels, you know, where that sort of thing was happening, that was invented in the 19th century. Right. Yeah. It you know so that so what he was saying it was because that's what it was. It was the nighttime, and the and the gospel writer wanted to make sure that that was included in the story. Yeah. In fact, that uh, the idea that someone would do an historical novel, as Lewis points out, that really did not originate until 100 years before Lewis. So this didn't right. happen in, in, uh, in the first century. I remember there's a section, uh, I think it's in Luke somewhere, where Jesus heals a little girl. And it just struck me, I've been reading it. Jesus heals a little girl. Uh, she gets up and he, there's just a comment in there was, she got up and she got something to eat. He said, he told her, no, he says yeah. to the to the parents, get her something to eat. You know, she yeah, give her something to eat. Yeah, yeah. Now yeah. Th- this seems like it's such an authentic way of telling a true story. But why would you, if you're making this up, why would you even say that? There would be a lot more fanfare around a resurrection if, in fact, it really happened, or if it didn't happen, but they're trying to make it seem like it happened. They wouldn't say, "Hey, get this girl something to eat." There would be some spectacular celebration or display none of that and i think that's probably what lewis means when he says they're not artistic enough to be legends they're clumsy they don't work up to things properly 
they're just newspaper reports, ladies and gentlemen, about what really happened, basically, without the liberal bias. Uh, well, and, it's, <laughs> and I, I think it's really important to note that they recognize who he was, mm, mm. that that he claimed to be God incarnate, mm. God in the flesh. That's an extraordinary claim. You know, uh, Mo- Moses, Muhammad, Buddha, the Brahmins, they never made that claim. Mm-hmm. That's, that is a unique claim to Jesus. And, and it's, you know, and it's extraordinary to think what, what that means because, uh, you know, he's there for our atonement. It, that we're, he, he lived a selfless life. He lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. And that's what all this was about to try to convince the world who he was mm, mm. in order to say that God so loved the world. It's not an invented story, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus of Nazareth is the most influential human being in the history of the world. And if he didn't rise from the dead, uh, it's really hard to explain that. He was an itinerant preacher that didn't travel more than 200 miles from where he was born he never led an army. He never led a state. He never wrote a book. He never started a, a huge business. He, he didn't do anything that many of us would consider to be great human achievements. Yet today he stands at the center of human history. Why is that? Um, well, when you go see C.S. Lewis on stage further up, further in, you'll get more of a sense of that. And as I say, This is a fabulous play to take anyone, regardless of their religious beliefs, which you ought to do. I know, Mac, you're doing some matinees, right? Uh, Yeah. It would be great to go to a matinee and then go to dinner and talk it over. Or if you go to the 8 p.m. show afterwards, go out for dessert and talk about it with your non-Christian friend. Uh, Max, a unique thing about what you do, not only for this play, but most of your plays, is you... After the play is over, and this one runs close to 90 minutes, you go backstage and you get out of character and you come out and sit on stage and take questions. Uh, what are some of the more more common questions you get about this play, C.S. Lewis, further up and further in? You know, it's very interesting that I, I don't remember the questions that much because mm-hmm. I've always tried not to anticipate them. Uh, I just know that there is a, a real sense that uh, that the Lord is there, mm. and uh, I, I think some people, because it's a theater experience, they they want to know whether I believe this or what has been Lewis's great influence for me. And of course, you know, he's become my spiritual guide. He's he's made me recognize that it all hinges. On Jesus, mm-hmm. yeah, if you know, if uh, if if his if it's if 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 it's untrue, no honest person will want to believe it. If it's true, every honest person will want to believe the gospel story uh, that God came to Earth to atone for our sins, and uh, you know, Jesus' statements are false. Christianity is meaningless. It has no importance. If true, it is of infinite importance because it's about our salvation. Mm. Now, this is a way that more Christians ought to try and reach out 
and engage our culture, ladies and gentlemen. That is through the through the arts. It used to be that Christians dominated the arts, no more. But uh, Max McLean and his entire Fellowship for Performing Arts are making a difference out there. These plays, uh, there obviously is a charge to go to them, but that doesn't cover the entire expense. Max, you are a 501c3, correct? If people want to donate to what you're doing, they can. That's right. Probably uh, ticket sales cover about 40% of our budget. Mm-hmm. And you will see, ladies and gentlemen, when you go to C.S. Lewis on stage, uh, you will see it is quite a production, uh, and it's reasonably priced. I think, can't remember what we paid. We may have paid 40 or $50 for the for the tickets, which are a bargain. Uh, and uh, as I say, it's coming to a number of cities. If you go to C.S. Lewis on stage, is it .com, Max? C.S. Lewis on stage.com. C.S. Yeah. Lewis on stage. You'll see the upcoming shows in order. Fort Lauderdale, Tulsa, St. Louis, University of Kentucky, Austin, Houston, Phoenix, Santa Barbara, Baylor University, and Pittsburgh, PA. And you may add some other cities. Is that true? Yeah, we've got, we'll, we'll probably add uh, quite a few more, actually. Okay. So where can people go to learn more about what you're doing, Max? Well, go to cslewisonstage.com. Right. That's probably a good place to, that has all our uh, tours. It talks a little bit about our movie. Uh, yeah. And friends, and don't. the fact that, you know, our mission is to produce theater and film from a Christian worldview meant to engage a diverse audience. Yeah, before we go, can you just mention a few of the other plays? I mean, this is the one that's out there yeah, right now. Yeah, we've done the Screw Tape Letters. Right. Uh, uh, the Great Divorce was uh, recently done. Martin Luther on trial. Uh, we did per, uh, performances of Mark's Gospel, Genesis in the Past. Um, we did Shadowlands, a modern adaptation of Paradise Lost. Um, did The Most Reluctant was a play before it was a film. Mm-hmm. It's all great stuff, ladies and gentlemen. Go to C.S. Lewis on stage for more. And if Max is getting anywhere within a few hours of you, trust me, you want to go see it. Make an event. Bring your Sunday school class. Bring your small group. Um, it will be an experience you won't forget, and it is going to generate conversations. Oh, one last thing I want to ask you, Max. I kind of have an advanced copy of the script here. I know you were thinking of publishing that. Is that available yet? It, it's not available yet, but it should be available very, very soon. Uh, I think we're going to get a Kindle version of it, probably ready in a couple of weeks okay. from this broadcast. And uh, and then uh, the actual printed version will be available within a month of this broadcast. Okay, good. Are there any questions in there, like discussion questions? There's a, well, there's a dis not in the uh, there's a discussion guide on our uh, on our website. Okay, uh, which is really good. Uh, it was produced by Devin Brown, Dr. Devin Brown, who's a CS, uh, extraordinary CS Lewis scholar, um, and uh, uh, he uh, he's written some uh, a wonderful biography called A Life Observed. Mm. And uh, he we've asked him, we sent him the script, and we asked him to do a study guide, and, it, and it's been terrific. Well, everything you do is terrific, Max. I mean that, and uh, well, it's, thank you, it's a pleasure to see anything you do, whether it's on the stage or on film, or listening uh, to you uh, through the Bible, the Bible app. So, ladies and gentlemen, go to cslewisonstage.com to learn more about how to see this wonderful play. And also, you can see the movie on Amazon Prime right now. That's C.S. Lewis' Most Reluctant Convert. So go there to check that out. Max, it's a pleasure having you on. Thanks so much. Frank, it's always a pleasure to see you and work with you. God bless you. 
Thank you. Thank you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, I also want to mention I'm going to be at Revival Christian Fellowship out in Menifee, California. That's kind of between L.A. and San Diego. Uh, that's going to be Sunday, January 22nd, doing the morning services and the evening. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. There'll be plenty of Q&A there as well. And then also myself, Elisa Childers and... Uh, Natasha Crane will be in Troy, Ohio, that's near Dayton, doing our first Unshaken 2023 conference. Uh, that is going to be Saturday, January 28th. That is at the Abrogast Performing Arts Center. So you're going to want to check that out. It's the first time we're doing this Unshaken conference. You don't want to miss that. And also, don't forget about the online courses coming up, how to convince people to be pro-life, return of the God hypothesis, and let's get real that's the apologetics class for six to eighth graders all coming up go to crossexamine.org click on online courses and lord willing i will see you here next week god bless